Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares some of our own winners in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, um, and apologies in advance before we get started on this one because this show has been heavily, heavily delayed. And unfortunately, will only feature me solo. Um, we're here today to have a look at the July 1996 pay-per-views, international incident for the WWF, and the historical bash at the beach for WCW. Um, that's one that I'm sure many of you recognize and remember fondly, so looking forward to reviewing this. But this is one that's been sort of delayed for quite a while now. Um, my usual pay-per-view co-host, Carl, and I have just not been able to line up a time and get on and do this together. Um, obviously, lots has happened in the world since our last review together, so it's rather difficult to both be free at the same time with our ever-changing job schedules and the way of the world at the moment. But nonetheless, we certainly hope that Carl will be able to join us for future pay-per-view reviews. This one, however, it's just been a little bit too long since I watched the shows to leave it much longer because my memory of them will fade. I um, have two kids and don't sleep a lot, so that's just par for the course, unfortunately. But for now, we're going to go through them and review them and get back to our 1996 timeline, carry on with the Raw and Nitro head-to-head battles as we usually do. Again, due to the time between watching the shows and now, if um, I'm a little bit rusty on any of the notes, apologies, I did go back and watch recaps and highlights of these shows again just to speed myself back up, but some of my note-taking from a few months ago may not be the prettiest still. The shows themselves, Bash at the Beach, took place from the Ocean Centre in Dakota Beach, Florida, in front of a crowd of 8,300 people, a TV buy rate of 0.71 for 250,000 homes. International Incident took place on July 21st, 1996, and that one took place from the General Motors Place in Vancouver in Canada, an attendance of 14,804, so a lot more live watching the show, but a buy rate of only 0.37, so approximately 122,000 homes. Um, around about half as many people bought this as they did Bash at the Beach, and yeah, the NWO angle was certainly in full swing, and everybody wanted to see that third man, so you can see for the month of July, WCW certainly registered a pretty big win. That being said, I did watch International Incident first, so we're going to head over to the WWF, up to Canada, see what they had to offer in July 96 and see whether or not people should have been spending more time watching this and paying it attention or if they were right to flock en masse to WCW. The World Wrestling for over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. We get a pretty cold opening. It's actually footage without any commentary of Jim Cornette taking a swing and a miss at Jose Lothario. Vader comes ambling down to the ring, but before he can do anything, Shawn Michaels comes out, stands in between, and we sort of just fade away from that on the free-for-all. And then we go straight to our first match, which is the Smoking Guns with Sonny, who is looking incredible, defending their tag team titles against the Body Donners, Sonny's former team even. Commentary team for the night is Jerry Lawler, Vince McMahon, and JR, so that should be pretty good to see the three-man booth. But we're told this is a non-title match, and then we notice Harvey Whippleman is the referee, so a lot to unpack here very early on. 
We start with a bit of a four-man brawl. The body donners get the best of it. Sip works over the arm and then Skip hits a top row backhandle. We get a clothesline from Bart as Vince tells us that Henry is taking Jake's spot versus Mankind later on. Henry Godwin, that is. Um, Jerry Lawler quips that it's because Jake's fallen off the wagon. Billy hits a rocker dropper. JR says that the Body Donners are the quickest tag team in the WWF, and in typical Vince fashion, he has to argue with JR and says something along the lines of, I would argue that the Godwins are, oh, sorry, that the um, Godwins are every bit as quick as them. Godwins, of course, not in this match, which JR pulls him up on, and Vince just doubles down. I'll actually splice it in here because I'm not doing it any justice. It's quite funny. Earlier, the, the Body Donners are a very quick team. I don't think there's any team in the WWF any quicker than the Body Donners and the Smoking Guns are seeing that right here. I would suggest that the Godwins are every bit as quick as the Body Donners. The Godwins or the Guns? I'd say the Godwins. I think the Guns are a little bit off. Hmm. Despite their size. And of course, uh, it's going to be interesting when Mankind steps out here to face Henry Godwin. And I would suggest where you see Henry, you're likely to see Phineas. Well, that won't be fair. And of course, Hillbilly Jim. Who that knows what's going to happen? That won't be fair. Mankind. So there you hear Vince making a bit of a dick of himself just to argue with JR, really. No other reason. Um, we get a cameraman um, loving some side boob of Sonny. Sorry, I could read my notes that time. I was like, I don't remember writing that at all. But he was zooming right in on there. We get a Bart Power Slam. Um, the guns are a little bit clunky on the double teams. It's not as smooth as you would normally expect. Um, I think it's more storyline than anything, though. There's a bit of a leap over and then an argument. Billy comes off the top rope, but eats an inverted atomic drop for his trouble. Bart lifts um, one of the body donners up for the sidewinder, but Billy's not there. Skip hits a missile drop kick, and Zip lands on top for the one, two, three. So no title change, but a big win for the body donners. And in a move that telegraphs the main event's finish, we then go to Mr. Perfect, who is interviewing Camp Cornette. Jim Cornette does most of the talking here, and he says that he will refund everybody that buys the pay-per-view if his team lose the main event. So completely expecting a heel win there now. From there, we go to our next match, which is Mankind taking on the filling-in Henry Godwin for Jake the Snake. He comes out with Hillbilly Jim. We get a horrible overdub of a really terrible version of Don't Go Messing With A Country Boy. They exchange some strikes. We get a Henry Power Slam and a clothesline. A spying buster before Mankind comes back with a bulldog, a big elbow, and a neck breaker on the concrete, which looked pretty nasty. Henry hits a clothesline and presses Mankind to the concrete off the apron. That was rough. Um, Mankind blocks the slop drop and locks in the mandible claw to pick up the big victory. From there, we go across to the superstar line, which I'll plug in right about here. Let's take you now, ladies and gentlemen, UWF Superstar Line. Brian, Brian Pillman back there. Can, uh, can you believe this one, big man? What? I got the body donors back here trying to lay a bunch of sanctimonious garbage about the competitive spirit. How they went out there to compete as athletes. Let's face it, their only motivation was hormones. Sonny, TNA, you name it, that's all they want. Admit it, guys. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Pillman. There's no telling what Mr. Pillman is going to say. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear the It's the WWE Superstar Line as never before. They're crying about the double teaming. The guns are pulling on them. They want to double team Sonny. All right, knock it off. All right, JR. Superstar Line. 
did not see that one coming. So, yeah, Mark Miro talks about the Body Donners wanting to double-team Sonny. We then go from that to Stone Cold Steve Austin taking on Marvelous Mark Miro, or the Wild Man, as he is at this point. It's a bit of a slugfest to start with. We get a crossbody from Miro, who works over the arm a little bit. Some chain wrestling before Austin breaks out the eye poke. They brawl along the outside. Austin hits his second rope elbow for a two. We get an attempted powerbomb blocked into a Hurricane Rana. They both go to the floor. We get a moonsault off the apron, which is quite cool, and a slingshot splash for a two. A slingshot leg drop for a two before Austin comes back with a chop block and the stunner for the one, two, three. This was okay. It was serviceable. Nothing great. Um, Just another victory for Austin who keeps racking them up at this point. And we see Bob Backlund wandering around the crowd for no reason in particular. From there, we go to Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson making a challenge for the tag team titles on Raw tomorrow night against the Guns. And then it's time for Goldust taking on The Undertaker. This match starts with stalling, and it carries on with stalling, and some more stalling, and a bit more stalling. This is um, Goldust doing his best Jerry Lawler impersonation here because it goes for an age. Eventually, Austin, uh, Austin Undertaker sorry, gets sick of it and hits a chokeslam onto the steps. They brawl along the outside. We get a clothesline and a leg drop for Taker before Goldust hits, and I quote, a thumb to the facial area. Thanks, Vince. Undertaker goes old school, and we get a rest in peace chant. Goldust uses the exposed turnbuckle. Taker comes back with a boot and a flying clothesline. Hits the tombstone, but then Mankind comes from under the ring, so he's obviously not retreated to the back after his previous match. He locks on the claw and drags Undertaker under the ring in a great spot. So he's come through the ring, obviously. Um... After he sent him down with the mandible claw and put him out, we get smoke coming from the hole. And then, hello darkness, my old friend. He's gone. Disappeared. Mankind can't find him and goes looking for him as well, which was quite cool. Um, but he pops out the other end, which gets a big pop. So he, um, Mankind's looking in the original hole in one corner and take a rip through the ring in another corner. Comes out and they brawl to the back. The crowd definitely dug that. And it was a pretty cool visual as well. We then get an Olympic-themed SummerSlam commercial, which is quite cool. Um, And we see Taker and Mankind brawling in the boiler room, but we lose the feed. We get a pretty good video package for the six-man tags. And then Doc Hendricks is with the babyfaces for a so-so promo before our big six-man main event. They've really let him out, big man. You can only hope that this next man will be true to his word with what he has stated. Here he comes! But what a monster! But what if he's not true to his word? Yeah! What if this 6'9", 313-pound psychotic athlete isn't? What if, what if this is a trap by poor Nick? There is a degree of uncertainty, although I must have a great deal of faith in Shawn Michaels and, and Ahmed Johnson for choosing. Well, maybe that much, not that much faith. Think it happened tonight. It's the World Wrestling Federation. Well, we don't need any Greco Roman judges for this one. This one will not be won on a point system. That we're not giving any medals away. Only bruises and maybe broken bones before this one is all said and done. All I can tell you guys is my mind keeps flashing back. What an ovation for Psycho Sid, and there he is with 
Shawn Michaels. As you can hear there, Sid is over as he comes and joins Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson for the face team to take on Camp Cornette, which is Owen, Davey, and Vader. Vader wants Michaels first. He hits a big punch before Michaels comes back with a Hurricane Rana and a clothesline and hits a crossbody that sends both of them to the floor. He then goes back in and hits a plancher, to which Vinci replies, unbelievable, for about the hundredth time of the night. Sid comes in and takes out all the heels and is once again over as fuck. Ahmed hits three Germans, not quite Chris Benoit-like, but still impressive before the heels take control for a while. Vader with the big hoe train attack, sadly no dance to set it up. Owen Hart with a spin kick, Ahmed with a press slam before Bulldog hits a delayed vertical on Sid, which was impressive as hell. Sean and Owen have a good exchange before Owen uses the cast. Vader with a long nerve hold and then a splash before Ahmed makes a save. British Bulldog hits the big power slam for a two. Some good heat here for this match, by the way. Sid hits choke slams all round to a big pop. And then Rocket launches um, into uh, Shawn Michaels into Vader, but the Bulldog makes a save. Jim Cornette grabs Shawn Michaels' foot. This allows Vader to hit the big avalanche and a Vader bomb and pick up the 1-2-3 over the champ. Sid comes in and hits a power bomb before the bull- Bulldog and Owen Hart, uh, sorry, to the Bulldog and to Owen Hart, and Shawn Michaels dives to the outside to Vader and they brawl to the back for some good heat. This was a, actually a really good main event and a pretty decent show, to be honest. It's not quite over yet, though, because Doc's with Gorilla Monsoon and he announces that there's a boiler room brawl planned for SummerSlam and Jim Cornette comes in and demands a title shot as we see highlights of the show to see us out. So, yeah, this um was one of the best, better in-your-house shows at this point and definitely one I'd recommend going back and watching. I think when I earmarked these shows on the calendar, it was all about Bash at the Beach, but this was actually really impressive. So if you've never watched WWF International Incident, I'd definitely give it a recommendation and go and check it out. And, you know, and In Your House comes in at under two hours as well. So not too bad viewing this one. Anywho, that will do it for International Incident. Let's head a quick stroll down memory lane before we go to the big boy Bash at the Beach. Peace God. Peace God. Now the shit is explained. I'm taking niggas on a trip straight through memory lane. It's like that job. It's like that job. foam title belts. I think everybody quite rightly talks about the Hasbro era foam title belts with sort of Revere and really loves them and I'd still love to get my hands on a set of them. I never had them as a kid but the ones that I did have a little bit later were the Jax versions and these were actually really nice considering what they were at the time and they were relatively inexpensive but I remember having at least a European title. I want to say I had a couple, uh, two or three but I can't remember the others as well but that European title for the time in the um, late 90s was actually really nice, quite shiny, um, bright, um, 
yeah, just really, really enjoyed that. Good prop for me and my brother to wrestle around with as young teenagers who were really into the Attitude Era and had a belt to defend at the time and have a bit of a muck around. So definitely recommend them and very, very underrated merch item that doesn't seem to get looked back on with quite the same love. So that's my little reminiscing for today. If you haven't seen them, go and Google them and check them out and probably pick one up on eBay for five bucks or something these days knowing what the Jack stuff goes for. Anywho, that will do it for today. Let's head back over to the action. I said at the start of the show that it was a July 21 um, Bash at the Beach, but July 21 was the international incident date, and this was July 7 for Bash at the Beach. That being said, I also just spliced in the beginning audio for the show, um, just to show how... This is, I guess, one of them things where every time we do a show, we pick WWF for production value. And if you weren't watching these shows back then or don't really have a frame of reference, it may sound like we're a bit of a broken record and we almost cheat and give the Fed a point every time. But this is the biggest pay-per-view WCW's ever run. And that was the theme they got everyone in the mood with. It was just that song with little, you know, snippets of the outsiders running roughshed. Like, if this was a WWF, it'd be some sort of, like final battle scene, Star Wars-esque theme song or something. I don't know, but it would be grandiose and it would get you in the fucking mood. That was just like, oh yeah, here's a show, stock standard music from, you know, you might hear this on a KFC commercial or something, who knows, like just really, really rough. And, you know, I'm sure they'll get better as we go on here, but that was an element that they were severely lacking in to start with. Commentary team for this great night is Bobby Heenan, Tony Schiavone, who you just heard, and the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. And even more exciting news, we get started with Psychosis versus Rey Mysterio. Mike Tanay, of course, joins the commentary team, as he always did at this time for any luchadors, so that people don't have to try and pronounce words they don't know. Um, could use Mike Tanay doubling up with me on this podcast for the very same reason. They exchanged submission moves early and then a big spin kick and a dive by Psychosis, a slam and a leg drop for a two and a top rope leg drop for a two. A big clothesline as Ray Rana's uh, Psychosis to the floor and a springboard Rana into a pin for a two. We get a senton from the top to the floor from Psychosis, which was pretty sick. Ray hits a springboard drop kick and Rana's off the apron to the floor, then hits a springboard moonsault for a two. An Asai corkscrew moonsault, which was quite cool. And a springboard reverse into a power. Uh, a springboard is reverse, sorry, into a power bomb for a two. We get a splash mountain reversed into a hurricane runner by Ray for the one, two, three. In what was a really quick, solid opener, a few too many hurricane runners for my liking, but it was quick, it was fast, it was innovative, and at this time in '96 was stuff you'd just never seen before. So, overall, big thumbs up for that one there. 
We then go backstage to Gene, who's with Conan. He's still in his very much um, Mexican Hulk Hogan face here and in his neon coloured outfits and pretty bland babyface promo. We've not got, not got anywhere near underlay. Let me speak on this yet. We then go to the antithesis of the first match. If we were hyped for Rey Mysterio and Psychosis, we came all the way down for Bubba versus John Tenter, a silver dollar on a pole match. <laughs> this one is just stupid. Tenter comes out looking like a fucking idiot, first of all, because he's got half of his head shaved, but he doesn't have a full head of hair to begin with, so he's really got like a quarter of his hair um, and half a mustache. He looks like the bastard baby of Jake the Snake and King Kong Bundy. It's just not right at all. And the pole's like fucking 12 foot above the ring with nothing to climb. Are we expected to believe these two monsters are going to shimmy up like a fireman's pole? There's no chance in the world either of them are getting to that. (laughs) It's just ridiculous. It's very much a punch kick affair and the antithesis of the last match, as I said, Jimmy Hart has to climb up the pole and thank God that he could because if it wasn't for him, there's no way they'd be getting it down. Tenter um, goes to... Tenter basically steals the sock off Jimmy Hart, nails Bubba, one, two, three. That, that's your match. Nothing happened. It was crap. Hammerlock scale, I'd probably give this... Oh, I reckon I'm going to go with about a... 4 out of 10. It's not going to go too high up on the Hammerlock scale because the ridiculousness of it made me laugh, but as a match, it was quite terrible. We now go to Mean Gene with the Macho Man, Lex Luger, and Stinger, and the Stinger, sorry, and they cut a really good babyface promo, really rallying the troops around, saving WCW, so I'll play a little bit of that for you guys right about now, my Funk Soul brothers. O'clock Eastern time tonight, wound out in the history of our sport as we know it for many, many years may have changed. With that, we go to Mean Gene Oakland. Gene? Again, gentlemen, I thank you very much. It is very tense back here in the locker room area coming up tonight. A match that uh, many have labeled as a hostile takeover match. These outsiders are going to have a third man joining them. They're going to be facing the macho man, Randy Savage. Former tag team champions, they've held numerous titles. Of course, the current reigning uh, WCW World Television champ, the total package, Lex Luger Sting. Guys, I don't think I've addressed this. I'm assuming everybody is in the building right now, Macho. And uh, who do you think their third man is going to be? You know what? I don't care. I know it's going to be somebody. So that's really all that matters to me. Because he's going to get hurt just like those other guys are going to get hurt. This is equal opportunity, equal war type situation. We're going to take him out, are we not? Lex Luger, it's got to be very, very difficult to prepare when you don't know who this third man is. That's very true, Gene, but we are prepared. You know, we've waited a long time for this. They've made a lot of noise, haven't they? A lot of loud noise. They're coming in and talking trash. The WCW was an honor and privilege to be chosen for this team. I speak on behalf of all of us, and we were represented well. We were represented to the best of our abilities. And you know what, guys? What is it? You know what point needs to be made here? Make the point, what is it? Throwing announcers through stages. You've talked real loud, but now actions speak louder than words. Isn't that right, Stinger? You know what the unknown does, Mean Gene? The unknown gives me a real dry mouth. The unknown makes me a nervous wreck. The unknown puts chills right up and down my spine. I like that. That's good. The unknown gives me goosebumps all over my body. 
And you know something? It does the same thing to the Macho Man. It does the same thing to the total package. We are a team, and we are pumped and ready. We're up for this one. You guys better get it. Let's just go do it. Thank you very much, gentlemen. We are the total package. Lex Luger staying in the Macho Man. Those three men collectively tonight to represent World Championship Wrestling in this gigantic hostile takeover match. I can never recall a match of this magnitude. Up next, we've got DDP taking on Hacksaw Jim Duggan in a tape fist match. And if we thought the last gimmick match was bad, this one's just as bad. Two back-to-back ridiculous gimmick matches. DDP comes out and tapes Jim Duggan to the post. Jim Duggan gets out and gets in control pretty quickly, though. We brawl around the outside. Lots of strikes and a clothesline. Some more outside brawling before DDP hits a diamond cutter and picks up the 1-2-3, which I did not see coming. What I should have seen coming, though, was Jim Duggan immediately popping back up and putting on way too much tape and nailing DDP to get all of his heat back and register the win pointless in what would undoubtedly be this week's dick move of the week. So, Hacksaw, thanks for making DDP look like a schmuck and making us all feel like idiots for bothering to watch the match that you clearly didn't give a shit about. From there, we go to Gene, who is with the giant Jimmy Hart and Kevin Sullivan. They argue that Kevin Sullivan is not the weak link, but Gene the Dick tells Jimmy Hart to brush his teeth. Oh, WCW Gene just annoys me for some reason. He just insults the heels without fear of repercussion. Why doesn't the giant smack him upside the head? Um, Then we go to Lee Marshall, who's with Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit, who cut a pretty average promo, to be fair. Nothing great there. Before heading into our next contest, which is the Nasty Boys versus Public Enemy, in a four-man dog collar match where each member of the opposing team will be chained to one of the opposition. We get an outside brawl, and then we get my absolute favorite, the shitty double viewing using a quarter of the screen for each part of the brawl. It's just ridiculous. I hate this camera mode. Absolutely hate it. Um, the highlight of the small screen brawls is, of course, a rubber shark who, <laughs> who for some reason, is on there. Um, it's definitely not the baby shark level <laughs> of annoyance, but it's right up there. Um, we get a surfboard being used, chairs, chains, um, a pile driver on the concrete from SAGs. They go up the lifesaver's chair or the lifeguard's chair and pull off of it. Grunge comes off the top rope to a table that didn't break, which looked pretty painful. Uh, SAGs comes onto him off the second rope and it still doesn't break. Um, Bobby Heenan cracks me up when he calls it the world's toughest table. They use a chain to clothesline Rocco for the one, two, three, um, in a pretty shite match. I did not enjoy this at all. From there, we go to another match I wasn't really looking forward to, Dean Malenko defending his Cruiserweight title against Disco Inferno. We get an outside brawl and then a headbutt from Malenko, a leg lariat for a two and a brain buster for a two. He begins to work over Disco's leg, hits a sunset flip for a two before Disco goes in control briefly. Malenko hits a crucifix and locks in a submission hold from it. But Disco escapes, hits a neck breaker, um, foot on the ropes for Malenko, a big backdrop for a two. 
Demlanco goes for the cloverleaf, but Disco rolls it into a small package for a two. It's a big clothesline, and then Milenko does lock on the Cloverleaf for the tap-out victory. And what was a surprisingly good match? I've got to give credit to Milenko uh, and Disco here as well. This was actually really enjoyable and broke the streak of stinkers. You know, there were three matches in a row that I definitely didn't care for, but this one I had no expectations and came out of it surprisingly happy. So go and check this one out if you want to look at anything from this show on the undercard. From there, we go to Joe Gomez taking on Mongo McMichael. And if you thought I didn't have high expectations for the last match, oh my goodness, Mongo in a singles match. Comes out with Debra. He hits strikes in a clothesline and a low blow. It's a bit of a beatdown, really. There's lots of botches. It's very clunky. Gomez does get a couple of bits of offense with a jawbreaker. Um, McMichael comes back with a neckbreaker for a two, which was ugly. We got a drop kick from Gomez. And then... Um, a very, very awkward sunset flip attempt before Mongo locks on a tombstone. And after seeing the basic moves that got botched in this match, fair play to Joe Gomez for letting Mongo hit him with a tombstone because I would have been shitting myself. But yeah, this one (laughs) was not great. It belongs on one of them parody Twitter accounts, if nothing else. From there, we go backstage to Gene again. He's with Ric Flair and the girls. Ric Flair, Ric Flair sorry, confuses Conan with Malenko. Not a great Flair promo. And Gene gets all flustered as woman touches him up a little bit. So, yeah, that was that. This was um, 96 Gene at his finest and 96 Flair not at his finest. From there, Conan is going to defend his US title against Ric Flair. Conan hits a low drop kick, a slap, a backdrop, and a surfboard. Uh, before hitting the press slam, as everybody does. It's all Conan very early. Hits another press slam, and then a cactus clothesline to the outside before Flair goes to the knee. Woman hits a low blow, and then Flair locks on a chin lock. He does his corner flip spot before Conan hits a springboard dropkick on the other side, a la Chris Jericho years down the track. We get a small package for a two, and Conan locks on a figure four, but Flair gets to the ropes, despite Bobby telling him to flip it over like everybody does to you. Conan hits a suplex for a two. Ric Flair goes up top, gets caught as usual. We get a bulldog for a two and a rolling lariat from Conan for a two before a long setup for Woman to use her high heel on Conan. Um, Flair then pins him with his feet on the ropes and picks up the one, two, three in what was an okay match. Nothing great, but nothing terrible either and definitely better than some of the other crap on this show so far. We then go to the Four Horsemen taking on the Dungeon of Doom. A brawl in the aisle. Um, sorry, I should say this is um, the Giant and Kevin Sullivan of the Dungeon of Doom taking on Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit of the Four Horsemen. They brawl in the aisle. Mongo attacks a Giant and he chases him out, which leaves a two-on-one with Kevin Sullivan at ringside. Kevin Sullivan survives and the Giant does come back eventually, but there's a long heat spot on Sullivan before he fights back with a low blow and a warm tag to the Giant. The Four Horsemen bail. We get the shit split screen yet again as Sullivan and Benoit brawl to the commentary table and Giant choke slams Arn Anderson for the one, two, three. Benoit keeps on beating on Sullivan anyway, and Woman tries to talk him off before the Giant comes back and Benoit bails. So, little tease of what's to come with Benoit, Woman, and Sullivan there. 
We then go to a main event on the vid. Oh, sorry, the main event, a video package on the main event, not a main event on the video package, as I was trying to say. Just like the opening seg- segment of the show, it was too long with no words in it. So I definitely won't splice it in and bore you. But what I thought I might do is just give a couple of little quotes around the importance of this match. I figured with not having Carl on to chat this through, I don't want to just breeze through and talk about the moves for this main event because it's actually one of the most important matches in the history of wrestling. So I'm going to read you a couple of little quotes from different people involved here and then we'll go and break it down afterwards. The first one's just a little one, but I find it interesting, just basically showing how secretive they were about this whole heel turn. And it's from Bobby Heenan's book, who says, We didn't even know that Hulk Hogan was turning at Bash at the beach in Daytona during the summer of 96. They kept him in the car the whole time. We didn't even know he was in it. I knew he was there because I saw Brutus Beefcake, who is a longtime friend of Hogan's, hanging around. So yeah, you've got Bobby who figures it out for himself, but nobody on the commentary team or anyone else in the company had really been wised up other than the guys directly involved in the match. So that was pretty interesting to show you how secretive and how much of a big deal this whole thing was. The next quote I've got here comes from Scott Hall, who said that we had no idea who it was going to be. The whole third guy thing came up by accident. I remember Kev and I called Brett and I spoke to him. Kev spoke to him and we told him it was really fun working for WCW. Bischoff was interested. He was offering him a pretty sweet deal, but Brett wasn't interested. We wanted it to be Hulk, but Hulk had creative control in his contract, so he didn't have to do anything he didn't want to do. We went to the ring. We hadn't even met Hulk yet. I met him briefly at WrestleMania 9, but I didn't know him. We actually went to the ring in Daytona, and Hogan wasn't even there yet. He was on a jet flying cross-country from shooting a movie. Bischoff wanted it to be Hulk, but before we went out, Bischoff told us, if Hulk doesn't show, I'm going to send out Sting. Now, obviously, we know from Heenan's quote earlier that Beefcake was hanging around, that the chances that Hulk flew in during the main event or any nonsense like that are pretty low, but I think you'd get the gist of what Hall's saying here, is that there was actually multiple people tossed up. They were looking at trying to steal Bret Hart from the WWF. There was a chance it was going to be Sting, but ultimately they landed on the right choice and convinced the right man in Hulk Hogan. But yeah, just interesting stuff there that they had so many different ideas and options in mind and didn't really have it nailed down until quite late in the game. This next quote here is a bit of a lengthy one from Eric Bischoff's book and it's talking about first approaching the subject of turning Hulk Hogan heel. At the beginning of 1996 I began thinking a lot about Hulk Hogan as a character. His character from my point of view had played itself out. I wasn't as dependent on Hogan as I was in 94. Our contract required him to be used a certain number of days a year and give him a fixed amount for each pay-per-view. This was already in the budget and wouldn't be changed one way or another. We'd already gotten our value from him, positioning our brand as a good advertising opportunity. I think we only had another three or four dates left in his contract. But Hogan was a tremendous performer and it made sense to try and do something more with him than just pencil him in. He was an enormous resource if we could just tap it. The more I thought about it, the more I came back to one idea. Hulk Hogan was one of the all-time great babyface characters. What would be the impact if he turned heel? Handled correctly, it would be huge. By this time, I had a good relationship with Hogan on a personal level, so I called him and said, Hulkster, what are you doing next Tuesday? I'd like to come down to Florida and run some ideas by you. Sure, brother, come on down. So I flew to Tampa, rented a car, and went over to his mansion on the beach. We sat down, had a beer, shot the shit for a while, and got caught up. Everything was great. Then I walked him through the idea that he might turn heel. He stroked his Fu Manchu, he rested his chin on his hand and continued to stroke his Fu Manchu for what seemed like 20 minutes. Then he said, well brother, until you've walked a mile in my red and yellow boots, you'll never really understand. And with that he looked at his watch and said, I'm sorry I've got to go pick the kids up at school. He showed me the door.
So yeah, it shows the um, resistance that Hulk had to turning heel there originally, despite the fact that it would obviously go on to be one of the biggest angles in wrestling history. It was not an easy feat to get Hogan turning heel for this. Last but not least, I'm just going to read Bischoff very quickly talking about the second Hogan turned heel and knowing instantly it had worked. A split second after Hogan made it clear he was the third man, I saw a fan throw a cup of Coke or Pepsi at the ring in disgust and anger. I knew it not only had worked, but it had gone over big, really big. As Hogan filled the air with trash talk about Ted Turner and WCW and what it stood for, people went nuts. They filled the ring with garbage. All the effort that had gone into keeping this thing quiet was worth it. The reality, the story, the anticipation, the surprise, the action were all 100% right on the money. Viewers loved the war that we'd created and they were going to love it even more as the story continued. When the show ended, I had the wrestling equivalent of an after-sex cigarette. I went back to my office, had my assistant bring me a beer, close the door and basked in the afterglow. So yeah, Bischoff knew right away that this was a hit, and without any further ado, let's go and take a quick look at the match and find out what led up to that. To start with, Gene asks the outsiders during the entrance, who come out to some god-awful generic music, which I'll splice in just a moment, where their third man is. They say he's here, but they're okay without him for now. Gentlemen, please, tonight here at the 1996... WCW Bash at the Beach, an event like no other in the history of professional wrestling is about to take place. A group of outsiders have threatened the sanctity of the WCW with a hostile takeover. A lottery has been held among the great superstars of world championship wrestling, and three men have been selected to defend the honor and possibly the very existence of the WCW. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? Damn right we are. WCW fans, are you ready? Let's do it. With the thousands in attendance here at ringside and the millions watching around the world on television, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Yes, sir, baby! Boy, have I got butterflies. Yeah, brain. I know, you know, this was like the verdict on the OJ case. Remember, everybody's watching that on the sets? Couldn't get their eyes Ladies off Ladies and it. gentlemen, at this time, let me introduce the man whose plan and goal is to take over the WCW with force and hostility. We were told there would be three of these interlopers, and I must apologize as I have been informed, and as you can see, there are only two. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing the So there's only two of them. Yeah, what's he talking about? What? There's only two of them. They got to deal their hands sooner or later. Well, they got to deal it right now. It has, it has to be done right, right now. Ladies and gentlemen, we have police everywhere. We have security everywhere. We have no, I have no idea what's going to happen next. What the hell's going on? I'll tell you what, you can cut it with a knife. You can't cut it with a knife in here. It's thick. The drama is thick. Unbelievable. But they know what they're doing. If they're putting us on the end of our chairs and making our palms sweat and making us wait, they're doing a darn good job of it. 
because I don't know what to do or what to think or what to say. They are here. It's the moment that we... I can never remember a moment so important that we've waited for let's go, let's with go. such anticipation. What is going on now? Go get them, guys. Go get them! I'm going to tell you what. The third guy. This is bogus wait, weather. Wait, 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 wait a minute here. Gene Okerlund? What's Gene doing? Gene Okerlund is... Gene Okerlund is going to the ring. He's going to find out who this third guy is, I guess. Well, he's in that conversation now with Michael Buffer. Oakland wants to know. That's what it is. Absolutely. And we, we need to know. Right, Go, Gene. Go. Yeah, there you go. Gentlemen, if I could have your attention, I don't have police protection with me at this time, but I want to confront you in front of this full house here at the Ocean Center and millions of others across the country and around the world. I don't see three men here tonight. Where is your partner? You know Scheme Gene, Chico, you know too much already. All you need to know, little man, is he's here and he's ready. Well, if he's... Well, wait a minute. Where is he? Is your partner telling me that your third man is in the building? Oh, he's here all right, Gene. Let me tell you something. We got enough to handle it right now, right here. Oh, for quite... Come on. Oh, man, I'm going to tell Come you what. Come on. They cannot handle our three guys. Yeah, okay. Let's send three out and just kick their teeth in and get it over with. There you go. So after all that, it's time for the match. Um, Scott Hall throws his toothpick at Lex, who slaps him, and the crowd are hot for this. They are dying for this match. Nash grabs a hold of Lex as Stinger comes in for the Stinger Splash in the corner, and this sends Lex headfirst into the post, and he's out. Stretch a job, making it 2v2, which was a really smart move because you can't have the heels fighting against three baby faces um, and trying to get over as bad guys, so really clever booking there. We get strikes and an inverted atomic drop and a bulldog from Sting. Macho Man on Nash as Dusty says that Oh, who'll be bad now? Who'll be bad now? And if you've seen this match before, you'll remember that call. Uh, this is it about 600 times, to be fair. Nash and Macho Man botch an elbow, and Macho Man catches his head underneath him, which looked a bit rough. Uh, the heels work over Sting for a while. Big SOS slam and a boot from Nash and a bit of a, a prolonged beatdown. Nash hits a sidewalk for a two before we get the hot tag to Macho Man. The crowd go wild as Macho unloads on both and looks like a big star here. Nash, however, takes him out with a low blow. And then the moment everybody's been waiting for, out walks the Hulkster. Of course, we get the um, infamous bit of commentary from Heenan who asks, whose side is he on? And gets shut down immediately from Tony and Dusty. But I've got to be honest, I always liked that piece of commentary because... First of all, we know the announcers didn't know from everything we've heard. And secondly, Heenan's always hated Hogan, so of course he'd question him. And third, like, by saying that, I guess, if you watch modern wrestling, they go out of their way not to telegraph the turns, which in turn does telegraph the turns. Like, you know, the whole Sasha and Bailey thing, you know, Sasha's shooting looks at Bailey, Sasha's mad at Bailey, Sasha's this. So, of course, you know Bailey's turning on Sasha. Like, they go out of their way to make it look like they're turning left, so you know they're turning right here. Back in before, you know, it was all watered down, Heenan going, oh, whose side is he on? Would make everyone go, oh, no, they wouldn't say that if he was about to turn and immediately sort of knock that out of your head. So when he does turn, it 
yeah, I guess it just made it feel more real to me. Of course, everyone knows what happens next. He drops a big leg on Macho Man. We don't actually get an ending to this match. Um, and then the ring is just pelted with garbage. In comes Mean Gene for that famous promo. The absolute in my broadcasting career, and we're all witnessing it. Go Look ahead, at Oakland. He looks like he's going to break up. Go ahead, Gene. Hulk Hogan. Excuse me. Excuse me. What in the world are you thinking? Me, Gene, the first thing you need to do is to tell these people to shut up if you want to hear what I got to say. I have been with you for so many years. For you to join up with the likes of these two men absolutely makes me sick to my stomach. And I think that these people here and a lot of other people around the world have had just about enough of this man, this man, and you want to put yourself in this group? You've got to be kidding me. Well, the first thing you got to realize, brother, is this right here is the future of wrestling. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. These two men right here came from a great big organization up north and everybody was wondering who the third man was well who knows more about that organization than me brother i've been there i've done that you have made the wrong decision in my opinion well let me tell you something i made that organization a monster i made people rich up there i made the people that ran that organization rich up there brother and when it all came to pass, the name Hulk Hogan, the man Hulk Hogan, got bigger than the whole organization, brother. And then billionaire Ted, amigo, he wanted to talk turkey with Hulk Hogan. Well, billionaire Ted promised me movies, brother. Billionaire Ted promised me millions of dollars. And Billionaire Ted promised me world-caliber matches. And as far as Billionaire Ted goes, Eric Bischoff and the whole WCW goes, I'm bored, brother. That's why these two guys here, the so-called outsiders, these are the men I want as my friends. They're the new blood of professional wrestling, brother. And not only are we going to take over the whole wrestling business with Hulk Hogan and the new blood, the monsters with me, we will destroy everything in our path, Mean Gene. Look at all of this crap in this ring. This is what's in the future for you if you want to hang around the likes of this man Hall and this man Nash. As far as I'm concerned, all this crap in the ring represents these fans out here. For two years, brother, for two years, I held my head high. I did everything for the charities. I did everything for the kids. And the reception I got when I came out here 
you fans can stick it, brother. Because if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, you people wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff would be still selling meat from a truck in Minneapolis. And if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, all these Johnny-come-latelys that you see out here, wrestling wouldn't be here. I was selling out the world, brother, while they were bumming gas to put in their car to get to high school. So the way it is now, brother, with Hulk Hogan and the new world organization of wrestling, brother, me and the new blood by my side, what you gonna do when the new world organization runs wild on you? What you gonna do? What are you hey, gonna don't do? Don't touch me, I'm gonna flee the lawyers. Cody, Bobby, Dusty, damn it, let's get back to you. I feel as though it's not really worth going into the deep dive of the winners and losers in the categories here. Obviously, in production value, WWF still wins. WCW had by far the most historical show, the biggest show, though there were some duds in the undercard. It was a good show as well. Uh, the WWF show was actually quite good, but I mean, they're not going to win storylines against the biggest storyline at this point in wrestling history. Maybe bar Andre and Hogan, but certainly of the Attitude Era or of the 90s and Monday Night War Era so far. Um, hot characters, extremely hot crowds. They're definitely going to win that one. And even match quality, the Fed... Um, had some decent matches, but nothing like Ray and Psychosis on there. Um, so I think WCW hands down has to be the winner for this show. But International Incident wasn't a bad show, so I definitely recommend watching it if you wanted to go back and check out some mid-90s or an In Your House or anything alike. Otherwise, though, thank you everybody for listening. Sorry again for the delay on this, but the good news is, having got this one out the way, we can get back to some Raw and Nitro, which I'm quite excited to be back reviewing, especially the aftermath of these two shows. Um, the next Raw and Nitro episode will, of course, feature that um, tag team title match we talked about with Ahmed Johnson and Shawn Michaels challenging the smoking guns as well, so looking forward to that one. But uh, again, just thanks everyone for listening and, and for sticking along the ride here. Um, the listener numbers have definitely gone up, so it's always good to see more and more people checking us out. Just need to translate that into a few reviews to try and help um, solidify us a little bit more on the iTunes chart. So if anybody could leave a review and let me know if you've done it, that would be great. Otherwise, even just any general feedback on the show, always welcoming more people to chat to about the show. Um, otherwise, that'll do it for me today. Thank you all one more time, and I will talk to you all again very, very soon. The end is here. The game is over. No more pretending.